Hi, and thank you for tuning in to McDowell Mountain Community Church's podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can be notified when we upload our latest message. We hope the message you hear today is encouraging to you as you navigate your week. Be blessed. What I want to do this morning is I'm basically just going to try to set the table uh, for the next few weeks as we move towards Easter. And um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Lent for, for just a couple minutes and then transition and get our focus to Jesus. We are a Christ-centered church, unapologetic about that. And so I want to help us get our mind uh, to Jesus. And, and I think if we can do that over the next few weeks as we lead up and, and journey towards Easter, I believe our experience of Easter will be one uh, of great joy and uh, will will bring some new life for all of us. So like I said, I'm so glad that you're here today. Let's talk about Lent. Lent is a season um, that leads up to Easter, 40 days. And um, for many who have maybe grown up in a more liturgical setting, Lent is something that maybe you saw or you were just a part of. Uh, I know the Catholic Church practices this on a regular basis. And um, for many who, who, who have been in that tradition, one of the challenges is knowing exactly why and what it is and how do we walk through that. And so in your journal, if you have a journal, and these are free, if you don't have one, pick it up at the um, Connect Central. Um, in your journal on around page uh, 26, 27, there's a whole ex- explanation of, of, of Lent that's helpful. Let me just give you some basics. Um, 40 days in the Bible was a significant amount of time, and a lot of times it referred to testing or trials, and um, also would refer uh, to uh, a season of preparation. And so Lent is that 40 days, so that number 40 is significant in the Bible. It's that 40 days, um, if, you are to, if you were to count from Ash Wednesday, which is when Lent starts, to Easter, it's more than 40 days. And so if you're like me, you're like, what, what gives? Like, it's more than 40 days. Did, could they not count back then when they started this? And it, I realized later in my life that it does not include Sundays. And I'm like, well, why doesn't it include Sundays? This is good news. Because Sundays represent the, the day that Jesus was resurrected, and so it, it is a day of celebration and a day of feasting. And so if you're fasting from something, like food, then Sundays you feast. That's awesome. And like in my mind, I just thought, well, why did they do that? And then they said, you know, I I learned it's because we always celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And Sunday is that day, so feast and celebrate, and that's why it's not included. Okay, so what do we do? Like, why? We intentionally focus on Jesus and his sacrifice to, number one, remember so that we don't forget what Jesus went through. Uh, we, we also do it to join in with him, and so when we refrain from something or we fast from something, we're joining with, with Jesus in that practice. And then that 40 days leads us to keep our minds um, pointed towards the resurrection of Jesus, which opened the door to life for everyone. 
And so that is a, a, a reminder, but also it's this, this visible movement of 40 days towards that celebration. So there's three, uh, when you look at just the traditional expression of, of Lent, there's three pieces of it. There's fasting, so you're taking something out of your life, you're refraining from doing something. So many people like will fast from, um, let's say, uh, food on, at a given meal. They might say, I'm not going to eat lunch for the next 40 days. Um, I've seen people say, I'm not going to eat chocolate for the next 40 days. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Some people said, <laughs> I'm not going to drink coffee for the next 40 days, like no caffeine. And you're, if you live with that person, you're like, ooh, that's not, let's not do that one. Um, maybe something uh, different. And uh, so all these different things, but you, you can be creative with that. The idea, however, is to sacrifice something significant to you in order to put your mind, your focus, your intentionality on Jesus. So whenever it is that you're, you're cutting something out, you're actually taking that moment to think about Jesus. Does that make sense? So um, just an idea, maybe you are someone who drinks coffee every morning. And if you're like me, when you get your the coffee, um, you put some sugar in and some cream in. Let me just give you an idea. Um, so maybe for these 40 days, you get your coffee in the morning, but you don't put any sugar in so that you could, like when you take a sip, you're like, oh, because you're used to the sugar, and it creates this like bitterness in your mouth that reminds you of the sacrifice that Jesus made. So there's creative things that you can do um, to, to put your mind on Jesus. And if we make it legalistic, like you have to fast from this, then it misses the whole point of sacrificing something in your life for the purpose of turning your mind. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. So um, second practice, so there's fasting, then there's prayer. So the intentional replacing of whatever it is that you're, you're sacrificing with the thoughts, the prayer, scripture reading, something that points you towards Jesus. And then the last piece of, of Lent traditionally has been alm, what's called almsgiving or generosity. And the idea is that we sacrifice as well for the good of other people. And so you can do that in so many different ways. Maybe um, you, for these weeks, once a week you go through a different room and you look at everything you don't need in that room and you gather it up and you give it away that week. And that's your almsgiving, is that you're giving things that you don't even use, that's just sitting there in your closet, and you give it to somebody who might need it. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay, so that's Lent. And uh, we practice Lent in order to get our minds towards Jesus and to prepare for the idea of resurrection. And we want to wrestle with um, how can we join in with Jesus and his ways. Lent. The series we're beginning today, which begins on the next page of, of your journal, is, the, is, a, is, a, is a series about the kingdom of God. And what's so interesting when you read the stories of Jesus, so let's get our mind on Jesus. When you read the stories of Jesus, and most historians, scholars would agree that Jesus was a person who lived and he taught and he had followers and disciples. And so when you look at the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus, what's so interesting is his primary 
theme or subject of his teaching is not what we normally think it is. So many of us, when we just think about Jesus and we think about what he taught, and some of this is kind of, our culture has picked up on this, we think that Jesus is all about helping us know how to get to heaven when we die. That's, that's the main subject of Jesus' teaching. And while that's important, it is not the main subject of Jesus' teaching. Which then you step back and you go, well, what is the main subject of Jesus' teaching if that's not it? What Jesus focuses on more than anything else in his teaching is the kingdom of God. It's, it's by far the, the greatest and the most common thing he talks about. And when, the, when, when those who wrote the stories of his life summarized his teaching, they, they said that Jesus began teaching this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God is among you, or the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, Jesus began teaching that the path of your life is leading you in a direction that would not just naturally put you in the same place as God. And so in order to to get into God's kingdom or get into the ways of, of God, you must repent, which literally means go in a different direction, turn around, find a different path. And then Jesus constantly taught about and showed those who followed him and watched him what that path looked like. It was, it was at the core of his teaching. And so if we, as a church, um, and we say we are Christ-centered, and if we as Christians say we're Christ-centered, if we don't think about and talk about and, and, and experiment with the ways of Jesus, we, we have to ask the question, do we, do we really follow Jesus? Does that make sense? Are we, are we really following what we say we're following? Um, in our country, just some, some of the surveys that they, they put out, in our country, 71% of people in the United States identify, self-identify as Christians. But the reality is, when you look at the ways that we live culturally, the kingdom ways of God don't necessarily match the living ways of those who even identify as Christian. So Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of God. When we talk about a kingdom here in our minds, in our, wor- in, in our world, and in, in our understanding, we normally start thinking about it's a place, a kingdom, is a, there's boundary markers around this place, and there's a certain way of living within this, um, this boundary, this country, we would often say, this, this place, and it's ruled by someone, a, a king, there's a certain way. We get a little lost because we're a democratic society, and so it's just different. But when Jesus talked about a kingdom, there was, there was a ruler, there was a king, 
Even our understanding of like the UK and England doesn't really match what Jesus was talking about because a ruler was really, his reign was over all. And so there, there's some disconnects here. I, I, um, I just read a book, I think it's called A Short History of the United States. I know, I'm such a nerd. Like, some of you are like, you're not even in history class. Why would you read a history book? And it's this fascinating book. It's a short history, and I missed history in school. Like, I didn't care. How many of you loved history in school? Some of you loved it. How many of you love history now more than you loved history in school? Like, it's chosen. You get to, yeah. So that's me. I, like, I wish I would have paid attention. How many of us, like, wish we would have paid attention when they were telling us stuff? And you're like, I don't know when that was. And I heard Nate Bargatze, and he was talking about, like, if he went back in time, he was like, I couldn't even prove I was from the future because they'd ask me, like, who, who was the next president? And I'd be like, I don't know who the next president is. No, um, that was a terrible attempt. Okay, so <laughs> I just read this, this book, and... Um, What's so interesting is throughout the book, the principles that all people were created equal, those, those principles of this particular place would only become a reality as much as the people who lived within this kingdom practiced it. And so, if it's stated that all people are created equal, yet the lived experience does not match that, then it's not true about that kingdom. Does that make, does that, are, are you with me? Are you following? So the same is true when it comes to Christianity, is that for many people, we might claim something, agreement with something. However, if we don't if there's not a lived practice in that, it's not actually a reality. And so what Jesus constantly does is he leads his disciples and those who are listening and those within earshot, and I think us, to, to not talk about kingdom in terms of just like laws or, or the legal system or boundaries, but the kingdom of God is, is, is not, it's not bound by markers the kingdom of God is a lived experience that you must walk out or practice. There is a path for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is just constantly giving us pictures and, and, and a help in how do we enter in and walk in, in God's ways where God rules. And that's what he continually points to. Now, I've been saying this, um, and I'm going to keep teaching this all year. You're going to get so tired of me saying this. John Mark Comer, in his newest book, Practicing the Way, he's talking about this. I, I just, there's, I've, I've been talking about this for, for the last few years that all of us are being discipled by something or someone. Like, we've got to be honest about that. And for most of us, we are being discipled by the culture around us because we're not being intentional about who is discipling us. And so John Mark Comer is asking the question, who are you following? Everybody's following somebody or at least something because we're all disciples. We're all being formed, every single one of us, every single day. Don't miss this. You are being formed. And, and I would encourage you, and Jesus would encourage you, be intentional about who you are following in this world because it is forming you into a certain kind of person. And Jesus continually says, follow me. 
follow me, go a different direction. Like your way, your path, the world's path is going to lead to destruction. Eventually, you're going to hit a roadblock. And it may last for a while, like it might work for, for a season, but at the end of the day, you're going to realize that it, there's no real life in that path. So follow me. Follow me. The question isn't, am I a disciple? It's who or what am I a disciple of? Uh, one of the ways maybe to, to dig into this and to discover a little bit more about this is to ask these two questions. Um, who and what gets the bulk of my attention? Now, if you just look at this and answer it like on the surface, you'd be like, oh, my family gets the bulk of my attention. Does it? For, for those of you who are in the, 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 the building, your vocation, building your, your platform, what get, who or what gets the bulk of your attention? Your mind. I, I would say, like, it, the easy answer is my family gets the bulk of my attention, but the reality is when I'm at home, is my mind somewhere else? I'm not going to tell you the answer to that question. <laughs> Where is your mind? What are you daydreaming about? Some of you are like, right now? Maybe. <laughs> what, what gets... What gets the bulk of your attention? And then the second question is, what gets the bulk of your affection? Like, what, what do you love? And I don't mean, like, human, intimate love. Like, I mean, what, what do you love? I grew up in an environment, in a space in the South, and they say it, that football is a religion there. And it is. It's amazing to me how many people in certain places, it's, this, isn't, this isn't just the South, it's all over, their emotions are ruled by teams that they have no ability to control whatsoever. I mean, I'm, I'm an Auburn fan, and yesterday they, they played terrible basketball. It did not affect my emotion one bit last night. Why? Because my heart and my mind are not caught up in some sport. It's just not anymore. <laughs> I've been healed. <laughs> because it's just a game. It's just a game. So, so who or what gets the bulk of your attention and your affection? And you, if you start to answer that honestly... If, you're on, if you honestly answer that, you, you might find your God. Is it finances? Is it money? I mean, do you, are you, your mind, do you always revert to how much do I have? How much do I need? Where's it going? Like, is that where your mind always is? Is it, is it success? Is it the idea of if I can only get to this? Is it a building a business? Is it you know, all of those things. And, and I, I realize the world is pushing us in different directions. We're being discipled by something or someone. And Jesus says, come follow me. Come follow me. So for the time I have left, I want to look at some scripture, some of the words of Jesus, 
some words of some of his followers and um, nudge you in a certain direction. And what I realize is that I can't force you anywhere. I, I just can't. And so only you can decide if you're going to give Jesus your mind and your heart. That's, that's up to you. And you, you can make a decision and create the path that you want to create. John the Baptist was um, kind of a precursor to Jesus and was, he saw that his, his mission in life was to prepare the way. That's, that's what he thought his whole path was for Jesus, for the Messiah. And he's baptizing people and um, he actually baptizes Jesus. And then some of his followers, the people who hung, hung around with him, um, they they noticed that Jesus then started baptizing people. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. John, the one that you baptized is now baptizing other people, which means you're going to have less of a following. If you're an influencer, you're losing some influence here, right? And John responds with these words, and these are, the, these are the words for us this week. So if you miss everything else, this is how Jesus responded, and I wonder if for Lent this could kind of mark our path. This is what John says. He, he replies and he says, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. It's such a simple statement. But what a, what a powerful response and, and an intentional decision to say, I don't care what happens to my level of influence because I'm here only to, to, to mark a path and to give space for God's kingdom to grow and Jesus is the one that actually can bring that, not me. And so John says to his disciples, look, you let him do what he's going to do. In fact, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And when we were putting this series together in the journal, I thought that, I want that to be my statement as well. Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Jesus said this in one of his teachings. He's talking about his death, but then he also brings in um, just all of humanity when he says that unless a, a kernel of wheat is planted, so think about like a kernel of wheat, unless it's planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone and there's no life in it. But if that kernel of wheat is planted and dies, its death will actually produce many new kernels, like a, a, a whole new harvest of life. Does, that makes sense when we talk about a seed, doesn't it? Like a, a, a kernel of wheat, like it has to be planted and it has to die in order to produce life. And this is Jesus saying, this is true of me, Jesus. But then he also says to his disciples, those who love their life in this world are actually going to lose it. And this is the whole idea of a path or a direction or a following is he's saying, 
Those who are so sold out that they know the right way and they're on the right path and it's all good, like they're actually going to lose their life in the end. But those who really don't care about all the trappings of this life and their life, all the stuff, all the surroundings, all the temporary things, in other words, those who don't care about all that, they'll be the ones that actually find life. Anyone who wants to serve me must, what's that next word? Follow me. It's about a path that Jesus is, is marking. Like, we actually have to die to ourselves in order to find life. It's, it's this bizarre thing. Richard Rohr wrote this um, and this, this idea that we actually suffer to get well, we surrender to win, we die to live, we give it away to keep it. It's just a backwards way of thinking for us and our culture. Like, it just doesn't make sense. But it's right. It, I mean, you think about any, like, I, I watch these musicians up here, and it's just, like, it's one of those things that I wish I would have started when I was younger, like playing the guitar, um, singing, I had no hope, but playing the guitar, playing the drums, something like that. And I, like guitar, for example, I, I sometimes tinker on the guitar, but the reality is when you start playing the guitar, it hurts because the ends of your fingers are not used to pushing, putting pressure on strings and on a board, a fretboard, that create what you need. Over time, suffering leads to life, leads to the ability to, to, to play. But it's suffering that gets you there. I mean, it's true about music. It's true about health. Like, I mean, who wants to go run five miles? And if you do, you should see a counselor. And, <laughs> and the first time you go, it is painful. But that suffering will actually lead to life. I mean, that's, that's the whole concept of, of Jesus. Um, James, working all this. In fact, when you read the New Testament, it's just so many things point in this direction. James says, he writes, to humble yourself, don't think so highly of yourself and your path and your direction. You actually have to humble yourself and resist and he says, resist the devil. I, I, would, I would bring in the idea that you have to resist the, the evil path that we, we tend to run after. And, and we all do it. We all are running after. It looks different for all of us, but we're running after uh, the, the money thing, the looks thing, the influence thing. And it, 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 it's made known in so many different, but we're all after that. And James is saying, no, you got to humble yourself. If, if he said it, wrote it today, I wonder if he would say, like, you're not as important as you think. <laughs> We're not. We're not as important as we, we like to think. And some of us are like, I want to be more important. And James is like, just humble yourself. Um, even pre-Jesus, David, who wrote many of the Psalms, there's this Psalm... 
139, where he says, he, he has this recognition that I can never escape God's spirit. Like he's all over the place. I can't get away. And so he turns it into a prayer and he says, God, search me and know me, know me and, and, and point out the path, right? He says, lead me along the path of everlasting life, which hundreds of years later, we see Jesus doing this in, in a real visible way, giving us a path. Lead, lead me along those right paths. All right, I'm... I'm almost there. Stay with me just a couple more minutes. Are you okay? Okay. Um, Jesus has this moment where one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture where he says, are you worn out and are you tired? Whew. I look around our world and I'm like, yes, people are worn out and they are tired. Jesus says, are you worn out? Are you tired? Are you spent? Walk with me. This is a path thing. It's, it's, a, it's a following thing. Work with me. Watch how I do it. The only way you can do that is if you spend time with Jesus, if you spend time in his teachings. That's the only way we can do this today. And then this line, this last line Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, just that one line, unforced rhythms of grace. How does that sound to you? Does, does that sound good? Unforced rhythms of grace. Man, I, I think that's something that we all need. How do we get there? You got to follow Jesus. Let me ask you this question. How many of you need grace in your life? Why are some of you not raising your hands? You need, <laughs> you need grace because you're lying. We all need grace. And Jesus says there are rhythms of grace for all of us. How do we get there? We, we follow him. We, we find in him something we can't find in anything else. Um, the, one of the places that this has become so, um, I, I think, such a, an, an incredible picture and path for this is, uh, is, is the, the 12 steps. And I know I mention this every now and then, but I want to I show you, I want to give you the first three steps of, of the 12 steps and see if this doesn't match with what Jesus um, is inviting us to. Um, but before I, I read these, I mean, you can read them, um, but before I read them to you, I, I want you to hear this. You need the 12 steps. All of you. Like, we all need the 12 steps. Like, all of us are addicted to something. Some of it is just a more visible addiction. Like alcohol, um, there's this stigma in some places about alcohol addiction, but 
alcohol addiction is, is just a visible addiction. I'm addicted to some things that you just don't know about. And you're addicted to some things I just don't know about. And this, the 12 steps really just points us into a kind of a healthy understanding of that. And so these first three steps, we admitted we were powerless over, in, in AA we would say, we, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, but this could be so many different things. Could be, it's probably something different, it may be something different for you, but we admitted we were powerless that our lives had become unmanageable, that our lives were not ending up how we thought they should end up. Like I, I feel out of control. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, now this has been shifted over the years, but the idea here really is that we came to believe that God had the power to restore us to sanity. That we realized I'm powerless, like my paths are not working, but God actually can give me a way to make this all work better. He can, he can bring sanity. And so the third step is that I made a decision to turn over my will and my life into the care of God. And what that for Christians looks like is placing our trust and our faith in Jesus but that's not just a mental agreement with Jesus. It's actually turning over our path to follow Jesus, right? And so th this idea of I, I, I've realized my life is not what it could be. It's unmanageable. I'm being controlled by different things. Maybe it's culture and the discipleship of what... what I've been discipled into, I realize that God actually has the power to put me on a path that I can't put myself on, and so I'm going to turn over my will and my way to Jesus. That is actually what it means to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian isn't just saying, I agree with God. It's actually stepping into what Jesus would call the kingdom of God or a new way of living. That's, that's what it means to become a Christian. So, so many of us identify with the word Christianity, but I would ask the question, how many of us are following Jesus? And that, that's not meant to be like a shame or guilt or anything like that. That's just meant to be a real question of like, who are we following? Like, what are we after? Now listen, I'm going to step on your toes and then I'll end. <laughs> Send me an email later. We are in a day and age when we are being led to believe that a certain person or um, a certain group in power is the way to find life. And I'm just telling you, that is not how we find life. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying because voting your conscience is really important. You should seek God's mind in all of that. However, Christian allegiance is never to be toward a human or a, or a power group. Christian allegiance is always to King Jesus. That is where 
our heart and our mind is lined up. And I'm not, and, and, I, don't, and I don't say that to create, like, I, I just say that to challenge what we're about to walk into. We're about to walk into a season when the culture around us will try to disciple us to believe that life will be found in a certain power structure. But our king and our kingdom is not of this world. And the one who set the path for us as Christians is the one who laid down his life. He humbled himself unto the point of death. Now again, don't hear what I'm not saying in all of that. But if we are followers of Jesus, then we must follow Jesus, first and foremost. He is the Savior of my life and of the world. Nothing else will save us. So some questions. I told you I'd be done after I stepped on all your toes. Um, three, three little questions, and then um, we're going to kind of claim our allegiance with Jesus by taking communion together as a group today, as a church. When it comes to Lent, is there something you could give up or fast from in order to make room for Jesus, in order to get your mind towards Jesus? Is, is there something that's there? During these 40 days, what's a practice that you can do to help you focus on, on the way of Jesus? So maybe it's just coming, maybe it's the chosen. Um, you know, we're starting this Wednesday. If you'll let us know that you're coming um, by registering, that would be super helpful. But um, maybe that's it for you. Maybe you want to put together like a Lent dinner group. I just made that up because the kingdom of God in the Bible talks about a dinner table. So maybe you put together a little group and you sit down and you talk about Jesus a little bit. Um, prayer, Bible reading in the morning, those kind of things. And then number three, and here's the number three. Who do you know that could use a little bit more of Jesus and some good news in their life? Like, think about that. And, and could you maybe, I know it's difficult to invite people at times because you're not sure what, you don't want to step on their toes and all that. And you can just say, hey, I'm going to invite you to my church. My pastor steps on everybody's toes, so you'll be welcome here. Um, and then you don't have to step on their toes, I will. And uh, is there someone who needs some more of Jesus in their life that you could bring with you? Father God, thank you for sending Jesus because of your love for this world to give us a, a path to open the door to the kingdom. And in this, this central act of his life, an act of sacrifice, he, he, he showed us a, a new way. And so God, I pray that we would make room for more and more of Jesus in our lives. Pray that we would give him space and your spirit space to, to change us. Thank you for your love and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.